0: Hi and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into screenplays in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super colour, fragilistic, What is this? It's just where you wanna be. What is this? had to kind of shake things up a little bit uh, for today's episode. I know I've been saying that this was supposed to be a review episode for Unsane, but the timing didn't quite work out and I haven't been to see it yet. Because you see, every new week I go through the new films that are playing nearby at the, you know, four or five different theaters that are within bus, bike distance, walking distance from me. And the new films that are, and I check through all the new films uh, with my girlfriend to see what she wants to see out of all those movies. And then what she doesn't want to see, I go see by myself. And if she does want to see something, uh, I will see it with her. And I don't work, so I'm always free to go to the movies, but she does. And she's also, we're also currently in the process of moving all of her stuff out of her place into my apartment. And my apartment uh, well, I share it with two other people. So it's really all her stuff into my room and it's, it's kind of cramped. Uh, I really, it's, it's really cramped. So uh, it's a process and we're almost finished. We have, I think one more day of, of ferrying things from her place to my place left. But, uh, based on the current slate of movies that are out, You know, there aren't really anything, there's nothing really for me to go see by myself. And so I don't really have a good replacement movie for Unsane as a statistics overview movie that's new. And most of the old movies I've been watching recently are being watched toward a different end. Uh, They're mostly being watched in preparation for the April, uh, April April-born actors list at this point. So I don't really have anything I want to talk about specifically and this current slate of movies out there that I haven't seen, you know, you have Ready Player One, Acrimony, Unsane, um, uh, Zoe Deutsch in Flower, um, uh, there may be one or two others, but she wants to see all of them, which is great, and, you know, I love going to movies with her. So, it's not like I'm upset, and it's not, you know, I have movie pass, like, we're still easily, you know, killing their product model, and you know, we'll, we have until, like, what, Thursday to see all these movies. We have plenty of time. And so the movies that are out that she doesn't want to see are, I think, like, the only ones are God's Not Dead 3 and Paul, Apostle of Christ, which not only are they very low on the list of movies I want to watch, but they're also films I really don't want to support financially. Um, this, mo- first and foremost, God's Not Dead 3. The fact that they made a third one of those is absurd and ridiculous, and I really... I mean, I haven't seen the first two, so I'd have to watch those first. I really, really don't want to do that. So, just the timing really doesn't work out so great. So, today's episode will be more about the writing of films and screenplays, uh, both from a personal pr- uh, perspective of my own, and a general perspective of of looking at how screenplays kind of fit in to the overall Uh, structure and skeleton of a movie, because in effect, they are the skeleton of a movie. And very few movies get off the ground without having a screenplay. Uh, You know, you can't really shoot a movie, you can't design a movie, you can't script a movie, you can't act a movie without the screenplay. I I don't know how it's done. I mean, maybe uh, there are very fringe cases where that's happened, but for the most part, You start with a screenplay. That is the first step. But it also happens to be the one element of a movie that you can't really see on the screen. You can see the costumes. You can see the makeup. You can see the effects. You can see the acting. And you you can even see the set design and, and the production. And you can hear the score and the music. And, you know, I think... To an even greater degree than directing, you can see directing in a movie, but it's very difficult to see the writing. You know, you, and it, it varies from writer to writer. You don't know how much was actually on the page that translated into what we see, or was on the page that didn't make it to what we see, how many scenes were cut along the way. How many directives within the screenplay were ignored by the director and changed or, or adopted or adapted or, or uh, fudged from start to finish? I'm sure, depending on the director and, and depending on the relationship between the director and the writer, whether they're the same person or they're good friends or they've never met before or whatever the situation may be, uh, there's a lot of different variables going on to determine the, the ultimate outcome And, you know, as someone who aspires to successfully do that, uh, you know, I've learned by, by reading screenplays online that there are a lot of different very various ways to approach this task. Now, if you are not intending or don't know or have no idea who will be directing this screenplay you're writing, then... You can then you have to determine whether or not you want to input directions within your own screenplay. So, for example, if we look at Get Out, which won best screen original screenplay at the Oscars this past year, uh, Jordan Peele wrote it and he also directed the movie. So, you know that's a very easy relationship to determine, and you know he doesn't have to fight with the writer or as a writer doesn't have to fight with the director about what stays in and what gets cut you know that's all within him he knows it he's making it he understands the vision so that's a very simple situation from that perspective but that being said who knows exactly how much of a scene was actually on that paper did uh the the scene where um oh i'm not gonna think of her name the uh, the black woman that has uh, Allison Williams' grandmother inside of her, when she's like, no, 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 no. Is every single no on the, in the script? You know, it, how many no's were in the script? Seven? Twelve? Fourteen? I mean, that's, that's a very, you know, superficial difference, but if they're not the same, then, you know, there's obviously some differences being changed. And you look at that scene as a director, and you say, all right, I need you to say, you know, just repeat no as many times as you think are supposed to be. It's a, you feel like repeating it given these parameters, given this circumstance, given what you're feeling at this moment in this instance. And she just feels it, and it just comes out of her. And, you know, maybe after she does one take, he says, all right, let's add a couple more or take a couple away or say it faster, say it slower, say it this way, say it that way. And when you're writing the screenplay, you're not thinking about that. You know, you can write it and in your head you're thinking, all right, now if I'm picturing this as I'm writing it and she says it at this pace, like, no, 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 no. Okay, that's... Right, that's eleven. So I'll put eleven no's. But that might not be what happens when it comes out. Or, you know, the the scene where. Um I'm trying to think. Uh just just how when when Allison Williams is digging through her purse for the keys, that happens over a long period of time relative to how long people generally have to dig through their purse to find the keys. And just because we see it happen for such a long period of time doesn't mean that that's how it was written, right? So when you're reading the screenplay for Get Out, it could just be that it says, uh, whatever her character's name is, can't find the keys. It doesn't necessarily say, oh, she digs through her purse, she digs through this thing, she looks under the stairs, she looks under this, she looks under this, she looks behind that. It could just say, um, Daniel Kaluuya demands her that she find the keys. Allison Williams cannot find the keys, no matter how hard she looks. You know, like, it's not the same description. It's, it's completely different from writing a novel or a short story where you're saying, okay, Allison Williams picks up her purse and digs through it, cannot find the keys. She you know, her boyfriend yells at her again, she opens the purse a second time, looks through it, and still cannot find the keys, he, they both run down the steps as they head towards the car, Uh, she upends the purse onto the floor, their keys just are not there, you know, that's a much different way of writing that scene, you know, which is why when you look at the difference between books and movies and their adaptations, a lot of stuff gets lost in translation, because, if the person who wrote the original book is not the person that adapts it into a screenplay, is, and those two people are separate from the person who directs it, that's a, you know, that's a lot of, that's changing hands a lot of times, over and over again. So, a scene, like if we use, say, I don't know, Harry Potter, uh, in Ollivander's shop, okay, in the first movie, and in the book, you know, it's described, and Ollivander gets down all these wands, and Harry tries them, and this thing happens, this things happens, and none of them, you know, he destroys this shelf unit, and, and he he explodes these boxes and this thing, because none of them are right. Then we transfer that into a screenplay, and maybe all it says is, you know, Ollivander says, uh, try this, or how about, or maybe this one. And then after each of those lines of dialogue, we have one line of it saying, you know, uh... Harry Harry flicks the wand, and bad things happen. Maybe that's all the screenplay said. Uh, Harry flicks the wand, and things go wrong. Then we translate that over to Christopher Columbus, who wrote, who, who directed the first movie, and he's looking, and then he's like, all right, things go wrong. So he's interpreting that. I mean, I don't know if he read the book. Maybe he does, and you probably should if you're the director, but, you know, if all the screenplay says is things go wrong. I mean, you can interpret that a lot of different ways. And so when you're writing a screenplay, you kind of have to approach it as if... And and, and as I feel, how, how you make a good screenplay is by giving your director enough room to put their creative spin on it, if that makes sense. So you're not saying, you know... Harry flicked his wand and 13 and a half bookcases exploded, destroying 3,275 wands and leaving uh, the whole room covered in dust. You're saying Harry flicked flicked the wand and bad things happened. And maybe that's a little too generic, but Harry flicked the wand and, um, you know, and... Ollivander ducks for cover as a shelf falls over. You know, you you give it enough direction that the director knows where you're heading, but not so much specific direction such that the person interpreting what you're writing is able to add their own flourish to it. So he can choose whatever shelving unit he wants. He can, you know, make the spell bounce off any of the walls, he can make it, you know, go wherever he needs it to um you know it doesn't even you know and, and even to that extent he doesn't even have to make it go in the same direction as olivander for what that matter so the idea of being able to watch a movie and determine how well written it was is kind of re- almost ridiculous to me you know and so when i like look when i'm reviewing a movie on here and i'm saying but it was really well written what i guess i mean is that the dialogue was pretty good and the plot was pretty good because those are the biggest components of the screenplay that you see played out on a screen. And while they aren't always analogous to what was actually written, you know, uh, reportedly Finn Wolfhard's character in It ad-libbed a lot of his lines in that movie. So obviously 0% of the lines that are ad-libbed in a movie are part of the script and have no bearing on whether or not it was well-written or not. You know, that's 100% Finn Wolfhard uh, just making shit up as he goes. And depending on the director, depending on the performers, you know, obviously, I think, in my opinion, comedies have much more um, improv aspects to them, but that doesn't mean dramas can't have that, you know, You how many times have you watched a YouTube video about, like, all the things in movie, you know, all the unscripted lines in movies that have become absolutely, you know, incorporated into the public vernacular, uh, you know, Han Solo in Star Wars saying, I know, you know was reportedly unscripted, and that's one of the most recognizable lines from that franchise, from movies in general, so, uh, And that has absolutely zero to do with the screenplay. And then when you're looking at the plot side of things, you're taking a very, 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 very macro look at this movie and saying, okay, we have a space odyssey with an old Jedi who is kind of brought out of the shadows to train Luke, go up against the empire face down darth vader then uh his death inspires luke to go on to join the resistance um but then han leaves when he finishes his duty of saving the princess leia and then he returns just in time to hold off the defenses while luke flies in and saves the day by doing the uh the trench run You know, I'm I'm obviously, it's a lot more that happens in Star Wars, but in broad strokes, you know, those are some of the things that take place. And the idea that, like, the movie is well-written, applying to those aspects is such that you have to say, well, okay, if the screen, if we're assuming, let's say, that the screenplay Dictates the plot of the movie, then yeah, Star Wars is well written because the plot makes sense. Um, for the most part, there aren't many plot holes, uh, you know, not big, egregious ones, as far as I'm aware. I'm sure there are people far more knowledgeable than me that would point them out, but you have to take that with kind of a grain of salt because just because. The overall plot makes sense and works and and has a beginning and an end, all the pieces that lead up to it are also part of the writing, and you may not agree with all of them. They may be silly, or some people may find them unnecessary in terms of the overarching plot. You know, if you look at The Last Jedi alone, uh, there are a lot of people that think the entire Canto Byte sequence is irrelevant and actually means nothing to the greater plot of that movie. And so, in that sense, those people would refer to the movie as poorly written. But, you know, a more accurate way would be, say, like, poorly structured, right? But the structure is inherently part of the script, part of the screenplay. Which is why, you know, going through all this and trying to, like, rationalize it all in my head, when you're watching a movie, it's tough to... Know for sure what was in the screenplay and what wasn't. And I think the only way to really know what the best written movie of the year was is if you read the screenplays. And I, one, I don't feel like a lot of people do, particularly not people in the academy, but some people do. And I know people who like read screenplays before movies come out, and I think that seems weird, but it's, it's, It's a very nuanced way of assessing a movie, especially when you haven't read the screenplay. So when I'm talking about Pacific Rim Uprising, like I was earlier this week, uh, I would say that that movie is poorly written. I would say it's poorly written for the one, I think a lot of the dialogue isn't great, which as far as I'm, you know, unless I'm made aware, otherwise I will attribute that to the writing. And then as far as the plot goes, uh, you know, no spoilers for the movie, but I think the plot is very generic and not original, not something we haven't seen before, and it seems to only have been created in service of giving us big mech monster fights. Right? Uh, That's the point of the movie, and I think the, the plot is only directing us in that direction. That's all it's trying to accomplish. And, I mean, it gets there, so it's a satisfactory plot for that reason, but a well-written one? I wouldn't say so. And it's tough to wrap your mind around thinking that way if you're not used to it. And I think the average moviegoer isn't, really. Uh, You know, most people can point out plot holes um, most people can point out when some, a movie's uh, disjointed and, and doesn't really flow very well from one scene to the next. Uh, you know, most people can pick out a cheesy line or two when they hear it. But to put that in a greater context of assigning those flaws or strengths to a screenplay and to solely being on the writer's back that's you know that's another extra step that I think a lot of people don't necessarily take and um, they should (laughs) Uh, and not that I think people need to read screenplays I think that's a lot of work and it's already enough work to like just go out and see the movie in the first place but if you really want to assess how well written a movie is, I think the only way to have a surefire, the only surefire way to do that is to read the screenplay. So with that, all that having been said, let's kind of segue into my own experiences writing movies. Uh, Because I have a few, right? So but well, right. I don't know why I said right. Like, you know, this, but I've been putting in some amount of time, uh, to toward this, uh, while I've not been working and, and definitely not as much as I wish I had been. And I've not, I'm, I'm far less, uh, committed, not committed committed. is not the right word. i I, I've, I have less follow through writing screenplays than I had writing novels, which is what I initially did. That was what I majored in college as a fiction writer. I actually have finished novels that I've written. I have not yet finished any of the screenplays I've worked on, but uh, I, I do think that I haven't really been, you know, I was taught, I guess, taught how to write fiction. As much as you can be taught, I think I think there are some aspects of writing that really can't be taught, um, outside of like formatting and things like that. And so I've never really been taught how to write a screenplay. Uh, I've read screenplays, so it mostly just to kind of figure out the formula, format, and and how things are, are presented. And uh, so so that's kind of how I've done that. I also use the pro, a program called Scrivener. For which I've used for writing novels it also has a screenplay function so it actually can just um, do the formatting for you it, it helps you with all the formatting which is fantastic uh, really really um, exceptional piece of software and so that all that being said you know I have put a in a, uh, into um I've tried and started and, and stopped writing a lot of different things. And from my point of view, the uh, the ideas and, and stories that I'm trying to tell are far more interesting than the process of writing them. As they kind of always are, in my opinion. Uh, it, it really is tough, uh, as for me, as a writer, to translate the story that I come up with in my head onto paper in a, in an effect, in in an efficient fashion. And the only times I've really been able to do that are during the the years when I've participated in National Novel Writing Month. But I don't know, for some reason, I just, I cannot convince myself to like go the distance with a screenplay. But that being said, let me give you a couple of, of sort of, uh, let me see, how what do they call them? Elevator pitches about some of the prospects of what I'm working on or what I've worked on in the past. So uh, there are, I don't know, maybe four or five different things I've come up with. Uh, let's see. The first one, so the first idea I I'd ever had for a screenplay is about a pers- about an actor uh, he is primarily an action star, who whose best friend is a female actor that has co-starred with him in a lot of things, but has recently made the jump over into more dramatic roles that have garnered her a lot of a lot of critical uh, raves and ultimately led to an Oscar nomination. And our main character is very envious and jealous. And so, takes on the next dramatic role that passes across his desk. It turns out, the character he's playing is, uh, what uh, has, what is the, what is the, it, uh, it's the, um, I don't think it's Alzheimer's. It's like Alzheimer's. I don't know it's like Alzheimer's or or early onset Alzheimer's uh, the so the character he's playing develops a disease that um, causes you to forget things and, and forget where you are I mean, Alzheimer's and during the process of you know figuring out this role and getting into this role our main character, decides to steer into the skid and goes very, very method in his acting to the extent where, when they're filming the movie, he is pretending to have Alzheimer's and convincing everyone around him that he has Alzheimer's. And so, writing this movie, I'm writing it in a way where he's clearly from my point of view, I 100% know the whole time that he is faking. However, I'm writing it to ultimately project onto a screen, if it should ever come to that, that the viewer will not know this, okay? So, like, you're watching the movie, and it's like he just hap- also, you know, he goes to a facility where they teach him, uh, the- the- Signs for early onset Alzheimer's, and then all of a sudden he starts having the sign. And like they do, run tests on him, and the tests come back a little inconclusive. And like maybe he might have Alzheimer's, but maybe there's just a false positive from the test. And so you think that he actually has early onset Alzheimer's. He's like in his late 30s, but all through this, uh, all through this scenario, you know, all of a sudden people start hearing about this, you know, this guy, this actor is in this movie where he has contracted the disease that the main character is supposed to have contracted. He is still performing in the movie. The performance is so authentic, so brilliant, so incredible that, you know, he cannot, there's no way he won't be, you know, critically raved about and, and well-received and all of this kind of stuff, right? And so that's a large portion of what that plot is, to not give away the ending, necessarily. That's, that's, that was the first idea I had. I remember I was on the phone with my friend Nick a few years ago. I had had this idea. I was telling him about it. And he really liked the idea. I, I told him the whole thing, like front, front, to, front to back. My roommate at the time was in the room next to me, and as soon as I finished telling Nick the story, he come he like yells from his room like that sounds amazing. <laughs> and like he'd been like listening to the whole conversation. So I don't know if I can translate that idea onto into a screenplay accurately and-, and-, and well enough so that it becomes as great as you know they received it. But maybe, you know, that was the hope. And and it's still a work in progress, like all of these are. Uh, so, you know the the thing I'm working on most right now is not that. So the thing I'm working on right now, for the most part, and I've, I've been posting a couple of, like, updates about it on on Twitter, is uh, a screenplay that's a musical. It, I, I, when I was younger, I used to write a ton of lyrics all the time. So I've been doing that since I was a kid. And I love writing lyrics. I'm, I I don't know that I'm you know I can't write music. I I could never write music, but I can write lyrics and like I can sing them, like I know the melodies of them uh, as I'm writing them, but like I couldn't put music behind them. I wouldn't be able to do that. I'm that's just way outside of my wheelhouse. So, I've been writing the lyrics for a musical that I'm piecing together as I go, and maybe not all these songs make it in, but the the general plot would be two women, who are very lonely, uh, who have had some pretty shitty shit happen to them in their lives, and they connect through a mutual um, friend slash family member, depending on whose point of view, and they kind of simultaneously take the the this interaction. As one where, like they, where as one where they can finally, you know, connect with another human being, after having spent so many years uh, on your own, for one of them, or after having experienced so many people leave you for the other, and they develop this close personal romantic relationship with each other, that starts out long distance, and ultimately uh, they meet, and you know things are not. You know, if you've ever been in a long distance relationship, as I have, you, you know, or you should hopefully know from the onset of this relationship, that if and when you ever meet the other person in real life, things will not be as they seem. There is no chance that the person you're talking to on the internet is identical to the person that you meet for the first time in real life. There's no way. It may not be a very big difference. It may be incredibly minute, but there will be something different about this person in real life than there is in the, on the internet. You know, I'm very shy in real life, but on the internet, uh, I was not very shy. You know, I'm I'm far easier. I'm much more easygoing through email on Twitter uh, when I use when you know when instant messaging was a big thing. I was very easygoing on that on Skype things like that. But in person, I'm. So much more standoffish and shy. It's, you know, there's a very, and it doesn't, even if that, even if I've, even with people I know better, I'm still shyer in person than I am with strangers I talk to online. So, you know, for me, that's like a big difference for me and other people, everybody has their own. And so when they meet, you know, things are different and not always worse, not always better, but different. And this, musical would explore not just the toxicity of the real-life aspect of an online, of an initially online relationship, and I I don't mean toxicity as in all relationships that start online uh, head into a a bad direction, just that this particular one does for a time and I'm, this is, this, I don't know, it's, it's exciting to write lyrics. Um, so, like, the initial prospect of this, and what really drew me, drew me to it, was the first song I wrote for the movie, which is the first conversation that our two protagonists have with each other, which is through texting, and it's sung as we see it, you know, we're seeing them text back and forth with each other as they're each singing what they're saying in the text, and my thing, and about musicals, is I don't think that they need a chorus, I think a chorus inherently doesn't make sense in a musical, because, or it does, but only to a certain degree, so when you're looking at a movie like Um, Like La La Land, for example, there are choruses in most of the songs in that movie. And those, and like for me, when your chorus says is the identical each time you hear it, you can't, the only thing that is being forwarded at that moment is the visual element of the movie. Because if you're just hearing the same words over and over again, it doesn't change what is. The, the, pay, the plot of the movie doesn't change the characters uh, unless you're able to write the chorus in such a way where they can be interpreted multiple ways each time you hear it. For example, you think of something like Coco's Remember Me where you even hear this whole song three different times and each time it's sung from a different character to a different character and embodies a completely different emotion. And so when I'm writing for a musical... I'm basically doing it in more of a Les Mis sort of way where the dialogue is just sung and it just sometimes it rhymes and it has a rhyme scheme and it's set in a way where it's like where you take one sort of moment and stretch it a little bit and and give it a little flair to make it fit into the structures of a song. And so, you know, you. So for right now, you know, I have a song where they have their first conversation. Um, there's a song I wrote that takes place during an anthropology class for one of the characters who's still in college. And the song is. involves other classmates who are interacting with the teacher while our main character is kind of in their head and singing to themselves. There's a song where. Uh, after one, the one character flies to the other. Um, the character who isn't flying waits at the terminal and like sees her first. Sees her first, and she's singing about how oh my goodness, like this is just different, and I didn't realize it was going to be like this. I didn't realize this, that, and the other thing. Uh, one of my favorite songs that I've written about this is a song about one of them talking about. Uh, exchanging, well, not I guess exchanging is not the right word, but um, providing oral sex to the other, which I think is particularly fun. Uh, There's another that's far more dramatic and has to deal with a lot of the sort of backstory and bad things that have happened in their lives. Um, There's one that one of my characters has with her cat. And she sings her own part and she sings the part of the cat. And she sings the part of the cat as the cat. And then she sings the part of the cat as if the cat were the other woman in the movie that she is afraid to get to know better, but does. And there's one with one of the characters singing about their mom and how their mom kind of left them and the issues that she has with her mom and lots of different stuff. So like, the difference being that the first movie, the first idea that I talked about, actually has pages of screenplay written for it. Actual scenes that I have written. This one just has songs. And so once I kind of have a little bit, a couple more songs have been written, I'm going to try to piece them together and come up with a rough structure and then try to See if I need to cut some songs, find new songs that fit better, uh, or, or, and sort of like interlace the the screenplay element of the mo- of the movie with the lyrical element of the movie. So there's that. Um, but then uh, there's another uh, that is where is it? It's somewhere. There's another about. Um, nope, nope. This one. There it is. So there's another movie. I had this dream a few months, a couple of months ago, that had to do with myself and my cousin. Uh, we were. We would go into this, like, I don't know, abandoned canyon clay based you know, ancient city ruins type of thing. And we would get deep enough into it, and at some point, it would come to life around us, as if we had been transported back in time. And that was interesting. It was a really cool dream that went a lot of different places. But I, I, and I, I liked the idea of it. I, I remember tell, waking up and telling my co-friend about the dream, and she was like you should write it down and I didn't at first but I made a note about it at some point and then eventually I reorganized it so it wasn't about myself and my cousin it was about these two girls who are well, in the dream my cousin and I were like much younger than I am now so I didn't change that aspect these two girls who are like in their mid to late mid-teens um, who go exploring kind of and one of them finds a hidden cavern behind a waterfall and uh, when she gets into it, it comes to life around her. And her friend can't find her. and when she ultimately does, and, and the, the main gr- the girl that finds the empty cavern is like terrified when it comes to life because like if you were, you'd be kind of scared too. But when the second girl finds her, It goes away. The second girl can't see it. And her uh, invasion of the space uh, destroys and breaks the illusion. For whatever the reason. And uh, think of this as, like, it has aspects of Coco and, like, Pan's Labyrinth to it. um, Or even Spirited Away. And it kind of juxtaposes this illusion illusory element of of this girl's life with her real life. And almost uses the illusionary, illusory side of things to uh, not explain, but um, work out uh, to, to, as, as therapy almost for the issues going on in her real life and the dilemmas that she faces, and, and she kind of uses it as an escape in a way. Um, like Lion the Witch, and Witch in the Wardrobe, even, you know, all these kind of fantasy m- movies, and, you know, and an attempt to try to separate itself from these comparisons by grounding itself more. So I think. Like Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe and Pan's Labyrinth and Spirited Away spend the bulk of their time in the fantasy world. And yes, they use the fantasy world to establish and solve problems that have been caused by and and maybe not caused, but brought to a greater extreme that they use than they were in the real world. I'd like to use mine more to more is a 1 for 1 ratio. So we are not relying on the fantasy world to to prop up the story. The story is the real world. The fantasy world is more of an um I don't know, just more more of a a support than anything else. That's what I'm looking at working on. That's another thing like I've been working on and that actually does also have scenes written for it uh so you know i've got a handful you know i got a couple couple um uh, there's another thing i spent way too few little time on working on it was like my version of like a disney princess movie that was not going to have that was going to never was 100 not going to end with a male love interest uh Ending up with our female protagonist. Uh, she was going to intentionally subvert his advances at every turn and I don't know, try to like avoid the tropes that all those movies try to tend to hit. You know, Moana came out after I had that idea, which I mean, my idea is nothing like Moana, the final product of Moana with the exception of there's no male love interest in that movie. Even though mine has a male love interest, they just don't end up together. So there's... So I, I, not that I think... Not that I feel slighted by the existence of Moana. More that it just kind of, like, discouraged me a little bit, unfortunately. Which sucks, but uh, it is what it is. And... Uh, that was going to be a musical, too. So, I I really like the idea of writing a musical, but I don't know how easy that's going to be. But because part of me thinks, oh, that'll just make it so much easier because, like, I just it's a lot easier for me to write the music and then I or the lyrics and then I can just use those as scenes. And that's like half the scenes are done already. But it's probably a lot more difficult than I'm making it out to be. And further to that point, the structuring of. A scene is tough and then like writing a screenplay like i learned as i was writing it that i don't i'm i'm way too specific i'm still thinking as if i'm writing a novel not a screenplay you know i'm you know i'm discussing what my character is doing on a on a line by line basis when well, i don't need to do that right i just need to put something to the effect of you know such-and-such such enters the house, so-and-so enters a house, uh, can't find the this thing, uh, leaves the house. I don't need to write, um, Marilyn enters the house. She turns to the left, she walks into the kitchen, she pours herself a, gla- a glass of water, she turns to the right, she notices the broken table, she checks, she inspects the broken table, uh, there's glass shattered on the floor, she nimbly avoids stepping on the glass as she, as she sidles around the, the room "'into the living room, where she peruses the bookshelf "'and cannot find the book she is looking for. Uh, uh, "'Dissatisfied and disheartened, "'she climbs the stairs to her bedroom, "'only to find the clothes disheveled and strewn across the floor. "'She drops the glass in surprise. "'Her water spills across the floor, "'dampening the rug and some of her clothes. "'She turns, runs to the spare bedroom, "'lifts up the mattress, sticks her hand between the mattress and uh the mattress uh what the spring uh box spring box spring and cannot find the envelope of money that she keeps there because she does not trust banks someone has broken into her house someone has broken her table someone has gone through her personal belongings and stolen her money you know, like, that's that's way too descriptive for a screenplay. Way too descriptive. That is for a novel. And it's taken me time to figure that out. And it's tough to keep yourself in that mindset of, like, all right, I gotta be simple, but not too simple and, and vague. But just, like, I, it's more like I'm describing the movie to you. Right? So it's like saying... So it's like as if I was summarizing a movie to someone who hadn't seen it. So, you know, she walked into the house, you know, everything was kind of a mess, and uh, she discovers her money's gone, and so she leaves the house, she runs down the street, she gets in her car, she drives to this place, and, you know, does something, and then does something else. You know, that it's it's a lot more like boom, 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 boom. There's no, like, this and the eloquent, you know, you're not describing the scenery, Right? That's the difference, like when you look at like the difference between the Lord of the Rings, the novel, and the Lord of the Rings, the screenplay, you don't spend five pages of the screenplay describing the scenery. You know, you can just say the rolling hills of New Zealand, da 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 You don't have to say, oh, they passed a log and there were grass, blades of grass every mile, and there was this thing, and then the thing swayed and the trees rustled and the leaves fell. It's tough. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it wasn't something that was obviously apparent to me until I had really started to go through screenplays and like look at them and understand the way they worked and how they were written. And now, attempting to do the same thing for myself, I struggle less now with the actual formatting. I think I kind of have that down for the most part. I struggle less with the notion of being simple and, and vague as far as the directions and, and descriptions I use. Um, every once in a while they slip out, but for the most part I, I do a good job of avoiding them. But now my biggest issue is like, it's not even writer's block. I don't have writer's block for these things at the moment. It's just the, the desire to keep writing I don't know why I mean that's that's what I'm working at now but um, I don't know I I, I I will I keep telling myself you know set aside amount of and some amount of time and just write every day it doesn't matter how much you get done as long as you make some number, level of progress and like I can't even do that reliably so meanwhile I will watch you know 7 10 20 movies a day and feel, you know, if I, I, you know, for some reason, I feel like if I don't watch at least five movies every day, I haven't accomplished enough, I, and, like, I got myself into that mindset, and I can't get myself out of that mindset, not that I necessarily want to, but it's kind of ridiculous to, like, sit down at the end of the day and say, like, man, I watched four movies, and, you know, it was like, I watched four this, and then I watched that, and I watched this, and I watched that, And I was at the movie theater and, you know, and to then think like, but I didn't watch enough movies. That's crazy. For that reason, I kind of adopted this new strategy, which is at midnight every night, I will watch five short films, like five Looney Tunes short films. And so within the span of like 30 to 40 minutes, five movies are done. So I I have less pressure on myself for the after when I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like for example, today I didn't start watching a movie after I went to sleep until like 5 p.m., but I'd already watched five movies the night before. So, I skin off my back. But now I've seen. Now I'm in the almost finished watching my seventh movie today. Going to pop in another one. Knock that. Count that number up to eight. Then it'll be midnight. Five more. Boom. Bada bing. Bada boom. Uh, padding the stats, as it were. So. Screenplays, um, yeah, I I have really been thinking a lot about them lately, especially since the, like this year's Oscars. Uh, you know, with original screenplay being such a huge category this year, I was really it was really on my mind a lot more than I expected it to be, and it's definitely one of the more mysterious facets of of filmmaking, and I think there's so many bad ones. And more to that point, as as one of the pages on my f- spreadsheet is specifically for writers, I wanted to see how big a correlation there was between the people that write good screenplays and write bad ones. Or rather, the people whose screenplays are turned into good movies and bad ones. Because oftentimes that has more to do with the director than anything else. But is there a t- point where A screen where a writer is just the more important aspect of a movie and I don't know right like I'm not sure how if like that was this is kind of like the point like I'm trying to determine is it more important to be have a good writer or a good director is there a director so good that it doesn't matter what script he's given or a writer so good that it doesn't matter who directs the movie maybe not I don't know that there's anybody at that level. What I can say is that uh, for the most part um, the people whose names appear at the top of these lists are often very high on both lists. People like Christopher Nolan who is number one at the moment in the director seat and number two as a writer. Uh, Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki is 14th as a director and third as a writer. Billy Wilder is 7th as a director and 4th as a writer. Richard Linklater is 8th as a director and 5th as a writer. Akira Kurosawa is 16th as a director and 6th as a writer. Wes Anderson is 12th and 7th. Noah Baumbach is 27th and 9th. The Coen brothers are tied for 3rd and tied for 10th. And so on and so forth, you know. So the there are not a lot of people that only and like the people that only excel on one side are generally people who don't do the other thing. So for example, um, Andrew Stanton. Well, actually, that's a bad example. I think. I think. Let me look. Andrew Stanton. It's kind of a bad example. Andrew Stanton. I have ten writing credits for him right now and five directing credits and they're all pretty good Uh, but like looking at someone like Shakespeare who never directed a movie in his life but he has contributed to the writings of 23 movies that I've seen he's ranked eighth right now on my writing list or JK Rowling who never directed a movie in her life, but has direct, has written and contributed to nine movies that I've seen. And she's ranked 16th. Or Jonathan Nolan, who has written movies that Christopher Nolan directed. He's ranked 17th as a writer, but he's never directed the movies. It's all been his brother. Uh, so it, it's tough to make those connections and to see if there really is a movie that is director-proof or is writer-proof or, or rather a, a writer that is director-proof or a director that's writer-proof. I don't think that's... I think that's impossible. I, I, I really do. Be, and I think that the best... Uh, most of the best directors are also writers and the few exceptions would probably be people like, um, let me see here, like, let's say Spielberg, right? He doesn't do a lot of his own writing. He's written five screenplay, or written toward five movies that I've seen. Uh, He's ranked 241st overall, but as a director, uh, he is 17th with 32 directing credits. Um, Or... Uh, there was another one I had in my mind, um, what's his name, Scorsese, Martin Scorsese is ranked 5th as a director, but he's ranked 191st as a writer, he doesn't write as many movies as he directs, so he's not as highly rated, and it, but the problem is that like people who direct that also write, but direct more, it's not like they write for other directors, they generally only write for themselves. Uh, You think of somebody like Quentin Tarantino, who is 15th as a director and um, 14th as a writer, but some of the movies that he wrote were not directed by him, and some of the movies he directed were not written by him, but they kind of even themselves out. So I don't really have any solid conclusions yet, but I'm, I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. As that as far as screenwriting goes. So, uh, that's going to wrap it up there uh, for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you have any other, so any aspects of screenplays that I didn't really touch on that you think connect to the things I was saying or deserve to be brought up or counter an argument I was making, feel free to let me know, uh, on Twitter at Circle of Film or an email, uh, Film at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out previous episodes of the show, you can head over to circlefilm.com or most places where podcasts can be found. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com/slash-circle-of-film. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades. We need-